James says in James 5 verse 1, Come now you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in these last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. May God bless the reading of his word. You know, I want you to think about this. What, what phrases would you use to describe someone who has a lot of money? I mean, there's a lot of phrases you use. You know, you may refer to them as being wealthy or prosperous or loaded or affluent or well-to-do, um, rolling in the dough, you know. But another term that, that we often use to describe someone who has a lot of money is that they are filthy rich. You know, hey, you think of Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates, you know, Warren Buffett. These guys are filthy rich, meaning they have a lot of money. Uh, but that phrase, filthy rich, was actually uh, first used in print by William Tyndall back in 1526. And while we use that phrase, being filthy rich, to the, you know, use it to describe someone who has a lot of money... Uh, when it was first coined with, by William Tyndall, he used it and others used it during that day. The idea was more so that you have gained a lot of money in a dishonorable way. So we use the, the term to describe someone who has a lot of money. But they were using the term to describe someone who gained, gained wealth in a dishonorable or unjust way. Hence the term filthy Rich, you gained your riches in a filthy manner. And so you have two categories of the rich. You have one category that earned wealth through honest means. And then you have another category of rich that earned their money through dishonest means. And James addresses the rich throughout this letter, several little places. He, he talks about the rich and he warns them. And this, this section we're looking at this morning, though, is one of his stronger rebukes. And he begins by saying, come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Now, you may be saying, well, James, you know, you seem pretty hard on the rich here. You know, you're just piling it on here. Uh, and this may lead you to believe that being rich or, or wealthy is a bad thing or a sinful thing. But we have to, to figure out, okay, who are the rich? So before we dive into James's warning to the rich, I want to make sure we understand who he is referring to when he says, come now, you rich. And so the question I want you to think about is, who are the rich? I think when we tend to think of the rich, we tend to think of people who have more than we do. <laughs> However much we have, the rich are those who have more than we do. They're the rich. And so then you think about, well, what makes someone rich? Like, what puts you in the category of the rich? 
you know, the Bible talks a lot about the rich and the poor. And I think if you want to just put it simply, if you want to define it in very simple terms, I would define the rich as have as, as those who have more than they need. You know, whereas the poor, uh, they are not able to provide for what they need. The rich are those who just have more than they need. And so as you read the Bible, having more than you need or being rich is not necessarily a bad thing or a sinful thing. I mean, you look all throughout the scriptures, there were several godly people that were rich. I mean, Abraham was rich. Uh, David was rich. Job was rich. Uh, Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. So being rich is not sinful, uh, but being filthy rich is. And there are two main concerns that God has, as you read his word, two main concerns God has with the accumulation of wealth. The first is, God is very concerned with how we accumulate wealth. And second, God is very concerned with how we handle our wealth. So are we accumulating wealth in a righteous manner or are our methods filthy? You know, are we, are we gaining wealth and, be, and, and by gaining wealth are we becoming more generous as we gain wealth or are we becoming more greedy? Are we seeking to be a blessing or seeking to promote self-interest and comfort? James chapter 5, uh, James is addressing those who are accumulating their wealth in unrighteous ways and who are spending it on themselves with no regard for the good of the community. In other words, James is addressing the filthy rich. And as you read James, you realize James is very uh, eternally minded. <clears throat> like he's, he's looking to the time that he will stand before the Lord. He's thinking about... You know, things through an internal perspective. And so he's very aware that one day we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. And that God is very concerned with our choices on this side of the grave. And so James knows that God is concerned with our choices. And therefore he wants to warn those who are making certain choices that are not going to bode well with God when they face him at the judgment and so in verses 1 through 6, he tells the filthy rich that when they stand before God, three witnesses are going to rise up and testify against them. The first witness is their wealth. Look again at verses 1 through 3. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidenced against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. You know, in the first century, wealth consisted of crops, clothes, and cash. And James says, your crops that you've stored up for yourself, these crops have gone bad. They've rotted. The clothes that you've accumulated for yourself, which was a measure of wealth, have been eaten by moths and are now worthless and your cash has corroded. So all these measures of wealth, James is saying, well, do you no good when you stand before God? Proverbs 11.4 says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. And so in fact, what he's saying is, how 
you have hoarded your wealth will actually rise up against you as a witness on the last day. Someone once said that our money does talk and we hear it speak to us twice. Once at the grave, it says goodbye. And then once at the judgment seat, it says hello. In other words, it will rise up and give testimony. So the question is, what will your wealth say about you on that day? As it rises up and bears witness, what will it say about you before the Lord? How are you using your wealth, your resources? Are Are you simply just hoarding what you have? Are you spending it all on yourself? If so, your wealth is going to rise up against you on that day. Having wealth can be a blessing if we seek to be a blessing. If we seek to use what we have to be a blessing. You may have heard this before, but someone once said that money is like manure. Have you heard this? Money is like manure. When you pile it up, it stinks. But when you spread it out, it makes things grow. And I think God expects us to use our resources to help those in our families, uh, in our church family, in our community, and around the world. John Calvin said it this way. He says, God has not appointed gold for rust, nor garments for moth. But on the contrary, He has designed them as aids to human life. And this is why we give to the mission of the local church. You know, we collect an offering. I mean, the reason we do that is to combine our resources to seek to further the gospel reach here in our community. This is why we give to the local church. This is why we collect items like these baby items for the uh, Pregnancy Care Center and the other tangible projects that we've been doing this year. Uh, We want to use our resources to be a blessing and, and to help those around us and help them to know Christ. This is why we give money to these mission offerings that we take up. Throughout the year. So that we can fund the gospel going to the world. We want to be a blessing. We want to extend the gospel's reach as far as we can with the resources God has given us. And we want to help those around us. We want to be a blessing. And so James is addressing the filthy rich who are not spreading their wealth. But rather hoarding it up and spending it simply on themselves. And he reminds them that by doing that, your wealth is actually going to rise up against you and bear witness against you on the last day. The second witness that James speaks of are the the workers. Those who have done work for you, uh, that work for you for a wage. Look again at verse 4 with me. He says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So what he's saying is the filthy rich accumulate wealth by taking advantage of others. That's how they gain their wealth. And James mentions withholding pay from your workers because of fraudulent reasons. You know, being deceptive. Just looking for ways to try to get out of paying them. And you see this with, you know, in our, even our own day, with companies, you know, that will try to pay their workers as little as possible while giving, you know, those at the top multi-million dollar bonuses. 
I mean, you see it when people take advantage of a situation in order to maximize their profit while minimizing the benefit of the other party. And James reminds the, the filthy rich that the cries of those who were wronged have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. And one scholar said this about James's use of the expression, the Lord of hosts. He says this expression, God of Sabaoth, is one of the most majestic of all the titles of God in the Old Testament. Drawing attention as it does to his sovereign omnipotence. The use of the expression here in James emphasizes the truth that though the poor and the oppressed appear to have no champions on earth, they have as their helper and avenger none other than the God omnipotent. So he says the second witness here that will rise up on the last day will be your workers. Those who have done a job for you deserving pay. And you know many people that are counting on getting paid once their work is completed. And they want to receive their pay so they can provide for their families and their loved ones. You know Leviticus 19.13 speaks of God's heart for the working person. God says you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. So the principle here, though, is that you should pay your worker when you agreed to pay him or her and not withhold the payment. So if you agreed with your worker that you know, once you complete this job, I will pay you a certain amount. Well, when they complete the job, you need to pay them that amount and not withhold it or not look for it every little reason not to pay them. But we should try to honor our word and pay those who work for us. You know, there is a, uh, there's a television show I've, I've referenced before, and maybe you've seen it, but I've referenced it maybe a few months ago in a sermon. But the title of the show is called American Pickers. Have you all seen this show? American Pickers. It, 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 the show follows two guys, Mike and Frank, as they go across country and they pick antiques and interesting items to resell in their own store that they have. But one of the things that impresses me most about these guys is that they will offer a fair price to people, even when the people that are selling the items have no idea what the product is worth. <clears throat> For example, I've seen Mike find something he wanted to buy and ask the person, you know, what would you sell this for? And the person would say, uh, I'll sell it to you for $50. And Mike would say, oh no, it's worth a whole lot more than that. I'll give you $200 for it. And the guy's just like dumbfounded. That, okay, uh, yeah, sure, I'll take it. You know, But what Mike was doing is saying, you know, I know how much this is worth. I can offer you this price because it still leaves me room to make a profit on it. But it also benefits you. And I can, this is the most I can give you. Instead of just trying to take advantage of the person and try to gain as much profit as possible from them without any regard for their benefit, he works with them and says, you know, I know that what it's worth. I'll give you this much. It leaves me some room to make a profit. And then he offers that fair price to them. And sometimes they may take it. Sometimes if they know, you know, they may not take it. But what I love about it, though, is it seems fair to me. You know, they're not just after the profit, but they're after also the benefit of the seller. And I think that's a great way <clears throat> to do business. Make a profit, seek out a good price, but just don't take advantage of people. And I think that's what James is speaking of here. You should not take advantage 
of those you deal with or who may work for you. And he's addressing these, these filthy rich that were taking advantage of their workers. And he's telling them that God hears their cries and how they treat their workers will rise up against them on, their la- on the last day and bear witness. The third witness is the righteous person. Look again with me at verses 5 and 6. He says, You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in, the, in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So what we see here is the filthy rich are only concerned about themselves. This is why they hoard their wealth. This is why they disregard the righteous. Uh, the righteous here could be the ones who, who are being taken advantage of, or it may refer to the people of God. But the point is that the filthy rich live for themselves. I heard a preacher one time describe it this way. He says, the righteous person disadvantages himself for the advantage of the community. Whereas the unrighteous person disadvantages the community to the advantage of himself. And James says the filthy rich, by spending their wealth only on themselves, are fattening their hearts for the day of slaughter, which is a pretty gruesome picture, if you think about it. Because uh, the picture there is of an animal being fed and fed so it can get bigger and bigger and bigger, so that when it's big enough, you can kill it and eat it. That's what you do with uh, animals. And so he's saying that's actually what you're doing to your heart. The filthy rich feed their selfish hearts by spending their wealth on themselves with no regard for those around them. And notice that instead of feeling guilty, you know, when they, when they see the righteous who are living lives of generosity and justice and fairness, when they come across people like that, instead of feeling guilty for how they have behaved, and repenting and turning to God, instead of doing that, they strike out against the generous that live for others instead of themselves, namely the righteous. And it says they condemn and murder the righteous. And James says how they treat the righteous will rise up on the last day as a witness against them. How they treat others will rise up as a witness as well. And that's true of us. You know, how we... How we use our wealth, how we've accumulated our wealth, how we treat people that work for us, how we uh, deal with the, uh, the attitude of our heart to you know, covet and, and gain more and more. All these things will rise up as a witness against us. And when you bowl it down, though, I think the main issue here is that the filthy rich love money more than God. Right? I mean, they love money. More than they love God. And Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. And pierced themselves with many pains. So money is not the problem. But our love of money is the problem. Jesus said this in Luke 12.15. Take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Mark 4.19, Jesus talks about the deceitfulness of riches. 
So ultimately, we don't have a money problem. We have a heart problem. Right? And this is why we need Jesus as our Lord and Savior. You know, Jesus died on the cross for our greed. He died on the cross for our self-centeredness, for our fraudulent activity, and for our self-indulgence. He came, He died on the cross, and rose from the grave so that we can be freed from our love of money. So that we can be freed from our love of money and be free to love God. I mean, that's the new life He gives us. That we are now free from our sin so that we can now place our love rightly on God Himself. And what James is showing us is that the filthy rich, they love money with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? And you can tell what you love by, you know, what are you giving your your heart, soul, mind, and strength to? That's probably a good indication of, of what you love. If you're giving them to God, then the way you accumulate and handle your money will be governed by your relationship with God. You know, if, you, if you're loving God and Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then money takes second place and is then filtered through your relationship with God. And you, you, you consider how you accumulate, how you handle the money, the wealth that you are able to earn and gather through this filter of your relationship with God. But if you love money, then the way you accumulate and handle wealth will be governed by greed and self-indulgence. Because it's all about you. And so the question is, what, what do you love? That's really the fundamental question. What do you love? Do you love money or do you love God? And I would say if you've never given your life to Christ then that's where you need to start. That's the only... You know, Jesus is the only one that can free you from the love of things or the love of uh, some idea or the love of money and put you on a path to walking with the Lord. I mean, He's the only one that can do that through His death and resurrection. And so the first thing, if you've never placed your faith in Christ, then you need to admit to God that you are a sinner, that you have loved things other than God. And ask for His forgiveness in Christ And then thank God for giving you new life in Christ through His resurrection from the dead. But for those of us who have faith in Jesus, we need to be thinking about, okay, how do I use my wealth? Am I hoarding my wealth? Am I treating people fairly? We know our wealth will bear witness to us. You know, we should be viewing our money, the resources, and like Adam prayed earlier, our time, our talents, our treasures, our thoughts, we should be using all that God has given us for His glory and for the good of those around us to help extend the gospel reach in our city and around the world. I mean, we should be thinking about how to invest eternally and not just temporally. I mean, these are the, these are the thoughts that should guide our usage of money because ultimately it's about our relationship with the Lord. And other people's relationship with the Lord. I mean, that's what we want to invest in. So we want to treat people fairly and use our wealth wisely. And so for those of us who have faith in Christ, let us not hoard our wealth, but use it to help those around us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this warning. Thank you for the truths in your word that speak to our everyday lives, God. 
Uh, Lord, you know money is an instrumental part of daily life. Uh, We spend a lot of our time making money so that we can pay bills and uh, put a roof over our heads and clothe our families and um, give to worthy organizations and uh, produce jobs and products that benefit others. Lord, money is a great tool. But Lord, help us not to fall in love with that tool. Lord, help us to set our heart, soul, mind, and strength always on you. And Lord, help us to become more generous and less greedy. Lord, help us to treat people fairly. And let us consider how we can leverage what you've given us, what you've blessed us with, the wealth that we have. How can we leverage it to be a blessing to our families, to our church family, to our community, and to the world? And God, I pray as as we uh, live out this truth in our lives, even this week and in the days to come, and as people see how we approach our wealth, that they would recognize that there is something different about us in how we handle the things of this world. Help them to see that we live with an internal perspective and that we love you more than money. And that is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.